Hi everyone, I just wanted to jump in really quick before we start and say if you are enjoying the podcast please make sure you rate and review on iTunes, subscribe and follow us on Spotify or even if you just tell a friend in person who you think would like it too. Basically we're at the start of something really exciting, we're growing a little community of people and you've got the power to help us grow that even further and get it in front of more people so if you'd like that make sure you do all of that good stuff and thank you and on with the podcast. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And uh, today we've got a wonderful guest on the podcast. Um, Ali Miller is a writer and podcaster and her debut book, The Last Days, is coming out in the spring of 2022, which describes her experience of growing up as a Jehovah's Witness and the effect this has had on her. Did I get all that right, Ali? Yes, absolutely. Um, the Last Days is out next year. And yeah, it's very much about growing up as a witness and then subsequently leaving the organisation and the cost that my freedom comes at as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent. Okay, so welcome. I should have said welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> it's very nice to have you. Uh, so maybe you could start a little bit um, telling us a little bit about yourself um, and why you wrote the book, please, Ali. Yeah, so I um, grew up as a witness. I didn't ever remember life outside the organisation. My mum became a witness when I was um, very young. She first learnt of the witnesses and I stayed a witness until I was um, about 30. I kind of had a very slow exit, which I know a lot of other people do as well, because it's incredibly difficult to leave. And there's all sorts of things going through your head as you're leaving. So I tried to kind of take a sideways step out, um, which I was quite unsuccessful at. But we can go into that later. Um, And I um, didn't tell anyone. So I, I left and began to try and build a new life. And I didn't tell anybody that I'd been a witness, I was um, really ashamed of it. I really struggled to talk about it. And I did um, a master's in creative writing, which I started in 2011, graduated in 2012. And my um, major project for that was writing a manuscript, a fiction manuscript about a cult (laughs) um, who were in the woods. And um, yeah, it was very thinly veiled allusion to the witnesses um but I kept getting stuck with it there were all these sticking points um and it just wasn't working and I tried to write something else and it wasn't working either and I realized that what wasn't working was the fact that I never I wasn't speaking honestly about the past I wasn't speaking honestly about what had happened 
but I was still very reticent to um, speak about the witnesses or to speak out against them as well. And then I felt uh, it just gradually became this thing that I thought I've got to do. It really became like the moral imperative that I had to share this story because in many ways it's not just my story but it's a story that's echoed um and been experienced by so many other people and then in um 20 i can't remember i think it was 2016 um a friend who had been a witness died by suicide and it really was his death that made me start thinking, right, I have to do something with this. It, it felt wrong mm. to keep it to myself and to know that so many people were struggling with exactly the same things that I struggled with. So I started mm. um, to try and think about writing the book, but I knew um, I was still in contact with my mum at that stage. And I knew that writing anything honestly about the witnesses, even mentioning them would mean the end of our relationship. But once um, she once she did cut me off, it meant that I was really free to write about what I wanted to write about. And then that was when I started in earnest to write the book. So how long ago was that, Ali? Um, so I started to make notes and to think about writing it and make um, false starts in 20, uh, now I'm trying to think, 2018 and 2019. I thought, right, I'm going to do this, properly do this. Yeah. And I started writing it in spring 2019 and wrote a very quick first draft and then redrafted it and I didn't have an agent at the time so I didn't even know if it was going to become a book uh, I sent it away um, I think about August I started to make inquiries and by October I had uh, my agent who represents me now and then we sent the book out we did a lot of work on the book together he championed the story from the start which was really great it was a very strange experience to send off a book that was really personal um mm. and had things in that I hadn't even told my husband things that I couldn't tell people about to send this off and realize that this complete stranger was reading it and really <laughs> identified with it and loved it and we worked on it together and then it went out early 2020 um and then of course the whole world fell apart the um, pandemic came and so it took a while to sell because just everybody was nervous and nothing was going very well um and then it sold to penguin random house so yeah well brilliant well done i mean that's an amazing achievement um i, I know you've kind of answered um, a bit of the next question i was going to ask really but i was just thinking about my own experience and um uh, by the way i was the same i was about 30 when i when i finally um made the made the decision as well I think as you say that's kind of common isn't it mm. um and I know from my own experience that it took me quite a long time to make sense of what had happened and to understand who I was and all of that so is I guess you resonate with that I guess that stuff you've put in the book really that it takes some time to make sense of it all, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It takes a very long time because you're trying to um, undo a life, essentially. I don't know um, yeah. if you'd always been a witness or what it was like yeah. for you. Um, but yeah, it, it took me ages. So I had been quite devout. I'd been quite a strong, well, I thought I was quite strong witness. And I had <laughs> done, I mean looking back I'd done a lot that I shouldn't have done but I'd done a lot right as well and um 
Yeah. My first child was born in um, 2005 when I was 25. And I remember distinctly, and it's in the book, most of what I'm going to say is in the book, probably. Um, But yeah, so I remember distinctly, I was given, she was a few days old, and someone gave her a copy of my book of Bible stories. And they were so excited. Yeah, they were so excited to give me this book, which had given me nightmares when I was a child. Um, And for people, for um, people who don't, know the witnesses who are listening um my book Mm. of bible stories is a book that you are to um read to your children and it's got exceptionally graphic illustrations in it i don't know if they've revised it because the witnesses do tend to (laughs) revise their publications and make sure that their older publications are taken off the internet Mm. um but one of the pictures in particular i think it might be about the fifth story in was the picture of um noah's flood and the floodwaters yeah. are rising and people are trying to grab hold of um, floating logs and people are drowning and there's children in the picture and it's graphic and it's horrific. Yeah. And I remember as a child dreaming this image and being really affected by it. And here I was, young, brand new mother with this tiny baby in my arms. I've been given this book and I thought, what's wrong with me? I thought there was something wrong with me. I didn't doubt um, the faith. I doubted myself. I doubted my ability to bring a child up in this religion. And I didn't know why. I didn't know what was wrong. And I did think uh, for about the next two years after that, that there was something wrong with me, not that there was something wrong with the religion. I thought it was definitely a failing on my part, Um, but it was certainly motherhood that, changed me and changed my ability to um, stay part of the religion it's interesting isn't it because uh, hello I'm I'm part of the reason dad left um, uh, <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm. so you know we've talked about that before where you've said you know you you might have been able to sort of coast to an extent mm. like try and go under the radar mm. just put in your time root calls you know have have coffee and sit quietly and then (laughs) and and you know not bring anyone else in just kind of just just coast on um but then you're like oh I've got to teach this little impressionable human something yeah um I think definitely this this having this responsibility for this like you say this other little human and thinking absolutely I just couldn't do it um yeah yeah it's um yeah, you have to you have to decide what what are you going to tell this young life. You know, what are you going to teach them? Um, and yeah, absolutely, that was the catalyst. I'd had doubts for a long time, um, but that was definitely the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Was there any point, Ali, that you um, you kind of the penny dropped when you realised that I'm actually not going to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore or I'm not a Jehovah's Witness now. Was there a moment or was was it just a slow sort of thing that happened? There was a distinct moment. Um, Again, it's in the book. So I had... um, My first marriage was not a great marriage. I think that's another thing that kind of becomes a recurring theme with people who leave. It wasn't a um, positive relationship and Mm. I was going through a divorce. I was still technically a witness both of us still were and um, my ex-husband still is Um, I was going through a divorce and I went to um, one of the meetings I was struggling to go to the meetings I found it 
very difficult to go to. I'd been through a judicial committee and it had been horrific. I didn't know what judicial committees were like, but it was exceptionally harsh. It was very difficult to go through. Mm. Um, and I was a newly single mom and I had very little support in the congregation. There was a lot of judgment um, and people obviously thinking that they were judging me quite rightly as well. And um, so I went to meeting and it was the circuit overseer's visit. And he spoke from the platform. He took a scripture and I can't remember what scripture it was. Um, my Bible knowledge was always a little bit shaky. I was really bad at remembering scriptures. And looking back, I think that was like my subconsciousness. <laughs> going, I'm not I'm not taking that in. But he took this scripture and he really um, warped it. Basically, he made it say that anyone who was divorced could never gain Jehovah's approval. And I was sitting there in the audience and it was very obviously a scripture that had been twisted for my benefit. And I sat there and I thought, what's the point? Hmm. Why am I here then? If this is true, and I knew he twisted the scripture, hmm. but I thought if this man who we are told we should look up to and has been essentially appointed by God's Holy Spirit is twisting this scripture to make it sound like I will never be accepted, I thought, what's the point? And um, at the middle song, I packed up my um, ministry bag, packed it up, walked out of the Kingdom Hall, and I never went back. I went home that day, and I um, put all my Bible literature, everything. I couldn't throw the Bible away. I was really scared to throw the Bible away in case some. I thought something's going to happen to me. That's how I'll know if I throw my Bible away and, and mm. like I get hit by thunder, then I'll know that they're right, not me. So, um, I, but I threw all my literature away. I threw my like strange length of skirts away, my modest clothes, everything. Put it in a bag that day dragged it out into the street and put it in the bin and I thought I'd never come back um that so yes that was, how did that feel uh how did you feel when you did that terrified really scared right. because I'd been devout I didn't know anyone I had nobody outside of the religion I didn't have uh, work friends I didn't hadn't kept up with school friends I had witnesses and that was it I was really fortunate in that my mom's family weren't witnesses just my mum and my sister were witnesses but um my grandmother wasn't so that was really right. really helpful right. but um besides that no so it was really scary I think that's interesting in the you know saying like you know clearing out like the you know certain leg skirts or like certain things is like I remember mum was she doesn't um, wear them anymore but she had her seconds pierced and that was like a big moment where she's like I'm gonna get a second ear piercing and like <laughs> these moments of like small freedoms but it meant a lot at the time as well um to take yeah. that back I guess mm. it does just, have just a little yeah. win <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I was lucky because my my wife came out with me I suppose we came yeah. out together really so um, I was I was just first by a, a year but um yeah, I mean, Sarah was was very, yeah, very happy to uh, to leave as well. So yeah, we we were able to to leave together essentially. So that was obviously quite lucky. Um, but yeah, she um, yeah she she enjoyed being able to to do things for the first time. Um, one of the things that um, I've been doing some research as part of my masters um, into the experience of leaving. Um, the witnesses and, and it was really revolving around identity mm -hmm. 
um, and how um, when you leave, I think especially when you were born in, there's a lot of books about cults and so on, but it's often about how people get dragged into cults mm-hmm. and then then they leave and they kind of try and go back to their the, who they were. But I think for people like us, we don't identify with that because we we have no before to go mm-hmm. back to. So, you know, I mean, I'm interested in exploring that a little bit, you know, in terms of identity, who you see yourself as being. Do you think about yourself as being different now or the same? Or how do you kind of make sense of that identity and, and how much of that is still you? And uh, I don't know whether you, that makes sense to you. But. It makes complete sense. It's a brilliant question mm. as well. Um, I sometimes struggle a little bit with ev- well not a little bit to be honest I struggle quite a lot with everything being gone because it feels like a distinct before and after um yeah and I I feel to a certain extent that I have become who I always was you know how you have like an inner self and you know who that self is um and you mm you kind of feel that you're battling with that self. And of course the scripture, I think it's in Timothy is used that what I want to do is what I do not do. And so that this battle that you feel is something that you're supposed to feel. That's right. Um, But Mm. yeah, I never felt wholly myself. I always felt like I was kind of acting when I was a witness. Um, And I never felt like I really fitted in because I always have loved, um, unsurprisingly, I've always loved books. My mom taught me to read when I was three because she was a teacher. Um, And so I've always just been really passionate about books, but I obviously kind of had to keep that a bit concealed. So I think that although I didn't have a clue who I was when I left, I feel that I've become kind of who I was inside. But it's very difficult um, when you leave to build an identity and to realise who you are I didn't know what I liked I literally didn't have like there's no frames of cultural reference either because if you're good Mm. and do what you're told you're not listening to music you're not listening you're not watching certain films you're not reading certain books and so suddenly this whole world opens up to you and it's a very big world it can be very intimidating as well yeah absolutely um do you think that the that the the stuff you did in terms of um your writing and your your doing your masters was that helpful to that process do you think yeah definitely um you know how the witnesses always um I don't know if you did it but they kind of would have this chat or this question if you weren't a witness what would you be and so when they were limited in their lives so there was always that question and I always thought well I'd be a writer because that was just what I thought that's what I'd be um, but I knew that I couldn't be uh, the writer I wanted to be if I was a witness because there were things that I couldn't write. You know, you're really limited. You can basically write. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what can you write because you can't really explore any ideas because everything's wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I um, I feel so I left, walked out, wasn't going back. Um, and quite soon after that, a uh, brochure came through for evening classes at Edinburgh Uni. Um, and one of those was creative writing. And I'd been writing, so I hadn't been very well. And my doctor had suggested that I should write. She said, you're really articulate, you should write. So I thought, I don't know what to write, but I'll write something. And I think that's another hallmark. I don't know if um, 
witnesses have particularly great imaginations because you're kind of so tunneled <laughs> so I, I but um I went to this evening class I was terrified I was really scared um I scared the devil would pop out but I was scared of writing the truth I was scared of loads of things and um did the evening mm. class and the tutor was like you're good you can do this and that's what made me think oh maybe I can and then I met um my husband or my now husband um, I met him and I showed him my work and he encouraged me to show someone who was a teacher on a creative writing course in Glasgow and this person said oh your writing's really good you should apply and so then I applied mm. for my master's so that's a very long way of saying yes it was a hugely important way of establishing an identity and a really good way as well of um building new relationships and meeting people outside of the religion and realizing that you know the people we'd been warned about weren't bad people and they didn't have these hugely immoral lives and what is immoral anyway is a whole different question too so yeah it was a really good way of um of um broadening my horizons but also yeah. a kind of i suppose a way of finding another identity a sort of thing that I always think about a question that I asked dad before when we've talked about things was like um you know when I was born did part they didn't choose to know if I was a girl or boy until I was born so I was like when I was a girl did that influence your decision more to leave because as a woman being a witness it seems even more constrained in the you know um we've talked about you know things that the the men get to do or like I remember watching um certain relatives like they'd be like oh well they're going to the elders meeting but don't worry at, at like half time we'll bring them cake and tea and I'm like, brilliant <laughs> such, such excitement um you know and I was like you you didn't necessarily have so much like you were just like there was a lot of other things bubbling around you were already kind of you know on that route but do you think as a woman leaving or just that that journey is different because of all those other layers that are going on as well yeah, I think initially, actually, terrifyingly, I didn't even understand. I didn't understand what a gendered, um, patriarchal environment I was in. So I think that regardless of if it had been a girl or a boy, I don't know if that would have changed, but I think that certainly... I was aware of my experiences as a girl and feeling um, very excluded from, you know, Christmas and feeling excluded from birthdays. And so it was very easy for me to kind of overlay that over how I felt my daughter might feel and the things I thought that my daughter might experience. Later, I would say that definitely uh, after I left, um, it really strengthened my resolve that I wasn't having uh, a child of mine, particularly a daughter of mine, treated like that. I wasn't having her um, horizons shut down and I wasn't having her to be someone who was from birth expected to be subservient. Um, but I think that's a really interesting observation. But yeah, the terrifying thing is, is that no, I couldn't even think like that. I was very uh, conditioned to think in a certain way and to kind of accept that that was how things were supposed to be. We were the ones who made the cake. Mm. We didn't make the decisions. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, what a, that's, you can tell you're a writer. What a line. <laughs> we were the ones <laughs> that made the cake. We mm. didn't make the decisions. Yeah. 
brilliant. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm particularly interested in um, in a woman's perspective. It's um, again on the research. Um, the majority of my participants were women um, because I think it. Obviously, I, I've not experienced leaving as a woman. Um, I, I've I the one thing I I suppose got from being a witness was the ability to stand in front of people and do presentations and talks and prepare mm. things like that and I, I got to to do things like leading a group and um, doing the theocratic ministry school which I believe is gone now but in in my day we used to have that mm. um, but of course that's not open to to mm-hmm. a woman at all so when you leave do you think that puts you at a disadvantage or, or have you not sort of considered that what what's your thoughts about that? Um, I think a couple of things. I think, bizarrely, the one advantage that I got out of being a female witness was that, you know, the five-minute talks that they do, um, the little talks that are basically plays, oh, I loved those. I loved them because I was always like, right, how can I make this be as realistic? And I got to write a script, and I I just always went over the top as well. I would always get counselled about it, being a bit, like, too far-fetched for my setting, and, oh, I loved it. So what I got from that was being able to write quite realistic dialogue and scripting things. So from a work perspective, that was quite good. Um, But from... uh, perspective of someone who had been told since they could remember that they were to be subservient that they were to kind of play second fiddle that was very hard to undo exceptionally difficult to kind of unpick that way of thinking about yourself so I think that women probably are at a disadvantage I know I was at a disadvantage because I wasn't encouraged to have a career in the same way Um, and that instantly obviously puts you at a financial disadvantage mm. um mm. i yeah so there are disadvantages to a certain extent i was quite fortunate in that i was raised by a single mom so i didn't see a really typical like witness marriage dynamic until i got married myself which is probably why i was really bad at it i didn't understand this kind of way it was and my mom was very independent she was very um, good at uh, not making me feel like there was a man missing from the house. So I never felt like I couldn't do things. It was a surprise to me when I realised that that was how it was in the witnesses. I think that I, so I kind of saw that dynamic as an observer, not so much as a participant. So perhaps I wasn't as um, backfooted as some women who leave might otherwise be. Did you... Um... I mean, one of the wonderful things, and, and I mean, part of the reason for this podcast is that when you leave, you you suddenly um, are faced with all these questions and um, opinions that you can have. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? You know, you, you're allowed to think about politics or anything you want to. Um, what were some of the the discoveries that you made that you had opinions about? Um, oh, well, I discovered I had opinions about everything that I hadn't known I had opinions about. It's like, it's a dam, I think, and it just burst. And um, my grandmother is like, well, she was. Um, she was the most opinionated person ever. And I used to love being at her house because her and my grandfather would talk 
politics, everything at the dinner table. And it was loud and it was rowdy and it was amazing. And obviously at home, we weren't allowed to have this. Um, and so I loved it when I left because I was like, ooh, this is exciting. Um, so I discovered that I was really quite political. I was so excited the first time I voted. That felt like such a privilege. And then I was also really angry with myself for having been so easily led. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I, I was kind of thought, well, all these things really matter to me. And I didn't know that they mattered. And it didn't take very long for them to matter either. I was in the process of extracting myself um, when it was Obama's election in 2008. And I distinctly remember that feeling really excited by Obama and really um, following the election and following the outcome. And again, that was kind of these alarm bells of, hang on a minute, I, I feel so engaged with this man talking about change, but I can't feel excited when they're talking about things from the platform. Um, so, mm. yeah, I knew that there was kind of something going wrong when that happened. Mm. Well, it's, um, you are, I know you're always very engaged, Dad, in politics. You mm. find it very exciting. Yeah. And you, you said from a long time, you know, you... It's just, I guess, exciting that you could be and and all of that freedom to just get behind something without fear. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, you know, we've always put a lot of emphasis making sure we go <laughs> go to vote. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just... All, all, all the ex-witnesses I've spoken to sort of say the same thing. They're, it's, it, I guess, you know, that's one thing that and when there's a bit of apathy towards voting, you, you don't get that from many ex-Jehovah's Witnesses no. because you've been starved that opportunity Um, to have your say and all of a sudden um i mean one of the the things that we've talked about on other episodes is this the fact that you're you're a bystander in the world aren't you Mm -hmm. You, you're sort of watching it as if you are just an observer as opposed to a member of the community Mm -hmm. you're 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 separate from it and that's by design and you're told that's what Mm -hmm. you need to be um, what what sort of effect do you think that has on a child and then as a as a young adult? What what sort of effect does that have on the, the psychology, do you think? Yeah, I cover that quite a bit in the book because I think yeah. what you're told is you're told it's a is there's this kind of odd juxtaposition. So you're told that you're to be a bystander, but simultaneously you're on the lookout constantly for signs of the end. So you're always mm. watching the news with this bias as to what does that mean? What's what does that earthquake signify? What's going to happen with this war? Um, is it going to escalate into something else? And I was like that from really early on. I knew about mm. all sorts of things that I wouldn't let my children know about now. There were words that I understood that no child should. Um, so I I was always trying to unpick if the end was coming or when the end was coming. And Unfortunately, I after I left, I hadn't unpicked that kind of thinking. So for quite, I'm really sorry. I think you can maybe hear my daughter. She's supposed to be going to bed. I need you. Bed, it's all right. Don't worry. She's, she's that's the joy of podcasting. That's it, isn't she? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was. She's she's allowed to express herself in this house. You see. So Absolutely. yeah, I had this. Um, I was very passionate. Uh, as soon as I left about politics and very passionate because I was suddenly allowed to be but at the same time I was 
very worried by world events. So there was the financial crash just when I was on the verge of leaving. It was um, right. the tsunami in Japan. Um, and then there was the um, plane shot down over Ukraine. Um, yeah. And that for me was a huge trigger. Uh, my son had, my third child had just been born and it was a very difficult birth and he wasn't breathing when he was born either. So it was quite traumatic. And he was just mm. a few weeks old when that happened. And I had him in the back seat of the car. It came, the news came on the radio and I thought, this is it. I thought this is the end. And I'd been out for years mm. and I just realized at that stage that I'd been physically out but I had not undone all of the thinking I hadn't I knew that they couldn't be God's religion because they said they had love amongst themselves and I hadn't seen any evidence of that so I thought they're not God's religion <laughs> but maybe the bible is still right I wasn't sure so okay. I had this thought hmm. maybe the prophecies are right maybe what I've read is right and this is it yeah. happening and I was physically sick and was felt really ill for weeks and I just kept thinking this is the end I couldn't say to my husband this is the end because I would have sounded like I was crazy but I thought you know we mm. were told that it would be such terrible times that people would be eating their babies and I thought I've got this baby and I'm going to eat it it was just bizarre and looking back I probably it was triggered by a bad birth. I probably wasn't particularly well at the time. Mm -hmm. And one night I was feeding the baby and he looked up at me and he was so little. And I thought, he's tiny and I am going mad. I've got to do something about this. And I went into the sitting room and I opened the laptop and I thought, I'm going to go on an apostate website. And I'd never done it. And I was so <laughs> scared. I was terrified. It was another time in which I thought, right. If if the devil's coming, I just got to let the devil in, you know. So I opened it up and I was amazed. I was transfixed for weeks by what I was reading. Um, to really right. discover that my gut feeling that this there was something wrong with this organization, it really helped because I thought, I'm not mad, I'm right. <laughs> and and you know, and it also helped me think, no, this is I could rationalize world events and um very thankful that I could do that by the time 2020 came along and you see this plague that's starting to advance at the same time as there's bushfires and yeah. you know everything yeah. there were even locusts at the same time I know. <gasps> all the things came yeah. and um yeah to be able to feel like you've outlived the end mm. of days mm. several times really helps you be able to rationalize it but that really shows how entrenched things can be and how long Absolutely. it can take you know that was after I'd done my mm -hmm. master's that was after I had unpicked so much but I hadn't dared to get to the bottom of it mm. wow yeah I did think they must have been having a field day in the meetings during all of this mm. just like <laughs> it must have been yeah. well I'm quite old so I remember a number of these moments where um you know it's oh this must be the end the end must be really close now uh, or it must be really close um, now, and it's just you were never yeah. going to grow old, were you? They said you'll well, never grow not. old. Exactly. You're, you're going yeah. to be a child yeah. and play with the lions and tigers, and it'll be lovely. Yeah, you put your hand in the lion's mouth, and it won't bite you. Um, yeah, it's incredibly amazing. Yeah. It's fantasy. Yeah, I know Celine's quite keen to talk to you about some of the um, the literary uh, the literary stuff um, about writing. And um, do, you, do you want to ask uh, Ali a bit about that? Um, 
you you touched on it a little bit before where you said um because I, I was wondering if you did write when you were still a witness and you said that you were writing some of the like the little short um plays that they would put on and stuff I mean did you ever write um your own stuff it I guess it would be in secret to a certain extent because they wouldn't like it or did you um did you have to stifle that or so when I was little I wrote um lots of rubbishy stuff like children do but yeah I wrote things when I was little and I was desperate to write and I wrote lots of poems and my mum was always really unreceptive when I showed her any of them she was always quite frightened Mm. but my grandpa if I showed him a poem would be give me so much praise and he would tell me that I was a poet um like grandpas are supposed to do and um he used to take me to the library after school and he would show me poems that he had he had quite a good poetry collection and so he always really encouraged me um and I still wrote poems which I found quite recently on and off when I was a teenager but they were kind of put in a box and I did keep them quite secret I did so I wasn't well when I was a teenager and I did my hires at home and I did really well in my higher English and my higher English teacher encouraged me to write as well but after I did my hires I stopped writing um and Mm. I still kind of wanted to write a bit but I my first husband kind of poo-pooed my ability to do a lot of things including writing uh so I stopped and then when I started again when I really was on my way out but even then I had to keep them secret um and was terrified I left so I had a notebook where I started writing things in um and I left it at the circuit assembly and I was like oh my goodness I managed to rush back and get it but I was so worried because if anyone had found that that would be me just game up instantly in front of the elders again so um yeah that was quite frightening but I always um wanted to and I think I always needed to as well I use writing as a way of thinking I can't think properly Mm -hmm. if I don't write so I think that's why I couldn't think properly for a long time sometimes we've said about you know some of the things because we um write scripts and stuff together me and dad and you know some of this stuff that you dad's talked about stories as well we're like it's just at least you can talk back on them and reflect and you know um sort of make jokes now and stuff but like it's it's you know just doing the simple act of writing something and letting out mm. things in yourself shouldn't be something you have to run into a hall a place of religion and steal it back but yeah um but yeah I'm, I'm glad though that you were that you were writing even if it had to be a secret mm. yeah I think that looking back I think I was also always recording because there's so much mm. that's in the book um that was kind of subconscious and so when I wrote the book I wanted to make sure that what I was focusing on in a large part was the mother-daughter relationship between me and my mum and the jeopardy that I was incurring by leaving because I think that's really important but also I was trying to um, find kind of my last days within the organisation and within the religion as well which when you look back were happening quite early on because I think children are Mm -hmm. quite are incredibly intelligent and can be very intuitive and they don't have much else to think about so they spend a lot of their time kind of thinking about their environment and the environment they're in and yeah I think I was always noticing it and it was kind of all just there to go back to um, when it came to writing the book 
Mm. So would you like to sort of tell us a little bit about the book? Um, obviously, it, it comes out next year, so spring. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide to put it together? So there's, um, I guess there's lots of different ways of, of putting a book like that together. How did you go about thinking about how you would do that? Yeah, there's loads of different ways and it's really difficult actually. Um, people think, oh, you'll write a memoir and you just write your life down, but you it needs to have a plot. It's got to have a purpose. It's got to be driving towards something. So um, thinking of it in terms of plot really helped uh, helped with the structure. Okay. So the way that the book's structured is it's split into three parts, Genesis, Exodus and Revelation. So, yes, um, rewrite the Bible while you're, while you're at it. I thought, you know what? I burnt my bridges. Now I'll just like full on blaspheme now. So, um, yeah. So Genesis starts um, with a prologue, which is very much um, it's told in the first person plural. So it's in the kingdom hall. We are Jehovah's Witnesses is how it begins. And that it takes the reader through the beliefs that we have. There is no I on the page because there is no I in the religion. It is a we. Um, And then I go into my mother's story at the beginning of the book because I wanted to emphasize and I wanted to be very fair to my mother as well. uh, Because although I don't see her and I doubt that I ever will again, I didn't want to be angry or judgmental towards her. I really wanted to understand um, her need for the religion. And I wanted to show as well how people, um, I think it's easy to dismiss people who join a cult as being a bit stupid or being susceptible or being all these kind of things. And it's not like that. Mm. It, cults are incredibly sophisticated. Um, mm. And so I was showing how vulnerable my mother was when she joined the religion. She had, my father was, or still is, it's difficult to decide on the tense, a con man. And he had... Um, basically hoodwinked my mum into believing that she was going to marry him. He was already married um, with children and another child on the way and me as well coming along. So my mum was really vulnerable after he left. And that's when she became a witness because they filled a gap. Right. And it felt really important in the book to show how the organisation worked because they obviously have a very different um, public face to private face. So I wanted to show uh, the inside of the organisation. And I know that a lot of the public think they're quite funny, that there is just this odd bunch of people who bang on your door and you make jokes about them. But they don't really understand the seriousness of them or how they work. Mm. So I really wanted to go into that um, and really take the reader deep inside. So in Genesis, that goes up to when I was baptised. And I was vulnerable when I was baptised as well because I hadn't been well. Um, I was anorexic and I was exceptionally light at the time and my um, psychiatrist wanted to have me sectioned. So whether or not I was in my Mm. right mind when I made this huge decision Mm. is something that's Mm. incredibly debatable. And I would argue that Mm. I wasn't. So that's um, Genesis tells that arc of me going from a child to um, a baptized member of the religion. And it shows how the preaching work works, how um, vulnerable people are targeted, how vulnerable people are quite often made jokes of. It shows um, child abuse within the organisation. It shows homophobia. It really kind of just emphasises through taking the reader right inside it. So it's told uh, in first person present tense, so it's not past tense. It's told in the voice of a child becoming an adult. 
Um, and so I don't at any stage tell the reader what to think. I don't reflect on my experiences. I'm simply having okay. the experiences so that the reader um, mm. is right there walking along with me. And that allows them to see how strange it is and how foreign mm. it is to them. Because if you're a reader who doesn't have any experience of this, you're suddenly placed inside this very strange world. And then I move into Exodus, which tells um, the story of me um, marrying my first husband and of my daughter being born. And really, that is the trigger point for me leaving, as we spoke mm. about. Um, and it that part finishes with when my mom shuns me and when I basically have or I lose her, which is what really the whole book is building to. And then Revelation is... Um, the consequences of that and the after effects of being shunned and how difficult it is even when you know something's coming you still kind of hope that it won't come I think I thought that mm. I could get away with it my mum is um, a really intelligent woman she's a really loving woman she's really compassionate and yet she can be driven to do something that is really mm. inhuman um, so mm. and I kind of wanted to convey that as well you've mentioned a lot about it being about um you know the, and it's on your website as well about mother daughter relationships mm -hmm. and that's where it's building to um was that something you knew you know sometimes when you're writing you know that you're going places did you know you were going to that place or did you get there through the process um i think i got there through the process so the first draft was very much um about the witnesses it was much less the kind of um intimate side I think I didn't really want to write about it but I think I really needed to write about it um so particularly since I've been working with my editor who is she's just incredible she's a brilliant editor since I've been working with her she's really kind of helped um me look at the work differently and help me reframe that um so yeah, it wasn't somewhere I necessarily wanted to go. It was somewhere that was has been very difficult as well to go to, but I'm very pleased that I have because I think it's something that will really resonate with readers, readers who've left and readers who haven't because everybody has, uh, most people have a parental relationship um, at some stage and everybody mm -hmm. has to. It's the real kind of coming of age that we all have to consider is life without our parents. It's just that when you're a witness, you have to kind of come to terms with this very strange um, experience of having life without your parents and yet they're still alive. Um, and that, that's a very odd thing. Yeah, on um, you posted a photograph on Twitter, um, which kind of choked me up a little bit. Um, which was uh, one of I think it was your family, including your mum, um, and you made a comment about you know that you've inherited not being able to keep your eyes open in a photograph. Um, but you kind of you you said oh, I'll kind of wonder where she is and mm -hmm. I wonder what she's doing, and that was um, yeah, it's mm -hmm. kind of it, it's just heartbreaking, really. Um, which leads me to a, a question, actually, I, I've been asking others um, when I've talked to them is what, um, what, what, what do you think society, how do you think society should deal with groups like Jehovah's Witnesses? Um, I think we all 
understand the, the the need to let people believe what they want to believe. But you know, do, are, there's another side to that. How, what's your thinking on that? How should we, as a society, deal with groups like like Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, I think that's a really um, very multi-layered question. I think that there needs to be provision um, for people who leave. I think that when, um, obviously, it's a human right to have the your freedom of religion. You can choose what religion you want to be part of, but that right um, is equally balanced by you should be able to have the freedom and you do have the freedom to leave a religion and there shouldn't be mm. a consequence of leaving it shouldn't mean that if you leave you lose everything um but yeah. unfortunately although the witnesses um use that freedom to uphold their preaching work they don't balance the other side of the equation in the way that they should um i think that there should be support but i really hope that from the book i can help um, healthcare professionals better understand what it means when somebody goes to the doctor or is at the midwife and says, I don't really see my mum because I was a witness. And people think, oh, you yeah. left the Church of Scotland. They don't really understand what you've left. So I think there needs to be a better awareness um, amongst particularly doctors, school teachers, university lecturers, all these people who have um, duties of care for people so that they can better understand what people are experiencing and the process that they have to go through. In terms of what should happen with religions like the Witnesses, well, I have my suspicions that they are not quite a religion. Um, I think that they are, as one lawyer in the United States called them, a business entity masquerading as a religion. I would like to see more work done to uncover that side of things. Mm -hmm. I think that religion um, can be incredibly useful. I um, think that the ability to believe in something beyond yourself can really help people. It can be a really mm. wonderful thing. But when it comes to these kind of outliers and these strange organisations, I think that there needs to be better scrutiny and the scrutiny shouldn't just be, I know that the Charity Commission are still investigating the witnesses, which they have been doing for years and I helped them with some of their mm. investigations. Um, mm. uh, the Charity Commission's argument is at least they are under scrutiny. So if they are a charity, then they are answerable to the charity commission i feel that the problem is is when you have a religion who are exceptionally clever and have very good lawyers then the answers they give to the charity commission and to the high courts are not answers that honestly reflect what's happening within the organization so i think that when it comes to investigations that they need to um listen um the bodies doing the investigations need to listen and take very seriously the voices of the people who've left. Um, mm. Do I want to see them no longer exist? I'm not entirely sure. I think that's a really difficult one because I can see what they give to people. I think if my mum wasn't a witness now, I don't know what she'd do. I don't know what mm. she'd become. It wouldn't fix things. It wouldn't fix things between us. Um, I mean, obviously, it, I've gone and written a book about very private things. That's that's not the what you do if you want to fix things. But yeah, I don't know what would happen if they didn't exist. I don't know if it would just if people would go somewhere else. Um, 
but certainly I think better scrutiny and more openness to listening to voices of people who've left. Um, I am, however, really pleased that there's investigations into them um, around the world currently. More and more mm. keep popping up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, I, I, it's difficult because it, it obviously when you when when one becomes interested and more um, focused on what's happening, it's easily you can easily mistake that for thinking, oh, suddenly things are changing. But you do get a feeling that um, there's more scrutiny that, or at least there's more attention mm-hmm. on groups like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, high control groups, and and others like that. Um, I, I recently attended a, a training course for uh, safeguarding. Uh, it was run by the uh, Faith to Faithless organization. So they're trying to run courses on safeguarding for apostates. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, very, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are very much on that radar um, because, um, yeah, they're, they're such a big group. I, mean, I, I attended a, a Faith to Faithless little meetup um, for apostates uh, about six months ago, and there was six of us there just on an online thing, um, and out of the six of us, five of us were ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. Um, I think it's such a that there's so many um, ex-witnesses that are reaching out for some support. So hopefully that starts to ring bells uh, with organisations that are offering that support and the government. Mm. Yeah, I think there, the more voices that there are, um, you know, the stronger it becomes. I I think mm. I would like to see um, more. Uh, coverage in the mainstream media as well in the hope that some witnesses would um, not just uh, blindly believe like they're told that the media is from Satan so any dissenting voice can be easily um, mm. dismissed because it's someone who's been you know possessed by the devil or it's is been one of these things mm. whereas I think if you have um, more coverage in reputable newspapers about what's happening um, particularly about the investigations that are focusing uh, particularly on child abuse and the lawsuits as well that that might um, help them to understand that every time that they're told that something's new light that this isn't new light. This is usually legislation that has changed that they're being forced to adopt and they cover it up. I remember when um, we went from charging the magazines for the magazines, I think it was 40B for the magazines, and suddenly Mm. it was donations and this was new light. And then I worked, (laughs) after I left, I worked for a charity and, and I understood fundraising law and how it worked. And it just blew my mind to think that this, the way things had been described to me was just completely mm. covering up what had happened. And I know that they did that um, when they changed their safeguarding policy about children. It was suddenly new light. And isn't Jehovah wonderful and loving for giving them this mm. new light? And yet they've put vulnerable people and children in terrible situations for years and years and years. And nobody tells them about that bit nobody tells them about the lawsuits to try and dismiss the victims it's just horrific mm. so yeah i'd like there to be mm. um more that helped kind of open people's eyes and and people who are um curious you know i didn't go to any of the apostate websites i knew they were there but i was terrified about them whereas i think if i'd seen something in a magazine, a women's magazine, maybe if I'd seen something in Elle okay. or in Marie Claire, I might have been more um, 
receptive to that, that might have made me think a little bit more rather than, you know, because an apostate website, you're terrified of apostates when they stand outside the convention. So, yeah, Mm. I was really scared of them. Mm. And yet here we are. It's such a line to cross, isn't it? It's a big line to cross, Uh, isn't it? Yeah. Because it is eternal death, essentially. Instead of just yeah. temporary sitting death. against the Holy Spirit, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, that means. I mean, what, uh, yeah, exactly, whatever that means. Um, so, I mean, kind of being part of a or being an ex-member of a of a group like Jehovah's Witnesses kind of puts you in a bit of a club, doesn't it? Um, you're in a special sort of apostates club or ex ex witnesses club, or what? Do you feel any sort of um, camaraderie with the rest of the um, the so called ex community? Um, well, to begin with, I really, I think that's part of the reason I didn't go on websites. I was very, um, reticent to go down that route, partly because my mom always said, why is it that ex-witnesses just, they can't get over having been a witness. They they can't move on with their lives. They can't get over it. Um, and I completely don't believe that, but I believe that it's a very difficult thing to get over Mm. and you need other people around you to be able to make sense of it. Um, it really helped me to use apostate websites, but only for a certain amount of time. I felt that I got all the information mm. I needed, and then I don't. I don't use them anymore. I didn't need to. Mm. Um, but mm. I feel that certainly the kind of Twitter community is quite entertaining. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of um, people who are trying to make sense of what's happened and there's something Mm. really nice about knowing that people understand because you can feel really Mm. isolated um when people kind of just don't understand what you've come from and then you know Mm. that people that other people just know you know I can say to you the book of bible stories and I don't have to explain the trauma of that um yeah yeah but it's it's also been quite nice and quite freeing to be able to talk to um my friends about it I have a friend who um in my writing group she before I met her she's has started working on her second novel and one of the key characters is a witness um so I've been helping her with that and kind of so that's really helped me open up and tell them some of the the funny side of it as well because well that's right yeah although it's it's horrific it's also quite funny from outside when you start you know thinking about like after (laughs) ministry and yeah just it's just odd isn't it really odd it is Mm. oh it is it is well we we tried to on our podcast we try to have a little bit of fun as well because yeah i mean it is it is quite ridiculous some of the um some of the 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 things you think about now you think yeah well that's just mad it is Um, well yeah. yeah one of the things that we really want to do on this podcast is to speak to people who A, have successfully navigated that leaving process and B, have done something really exciting and interesting. And that's you, you know, that's that's just fantastic. I can't wait to read the book. You know, I'll definitely have that on pre-order. Thank you. And I just think it's fantastic what you've, you know, what you've been able to do. Thank you. It, um, yeah, it, it was a, a long journey and it definitely wasn't an easy book to right and um mm. my husband knows that but it um it mm. feels very worth it from kind of the other side I'm just at the stage of um I'm about to get it's been with my editor it's about to come back from line edits um and I'll be doing line edits as well and um 
yeah, it's quite nice to feel that I'm at the stage where it's about to um, to go away um, and into the world. And I can't wait for people to read it either, though obviously I'm a bit apprehensive about it. Um, hmm. It feels, uh, it, it does, it feels like a big achievement. Hmm, absolutely. And the podcast. So you've got a podcast that um, you do um about writing yes so i do that with um tell us tell us a bit about that because we want to plug the podcast yeah so it's called not too busy to write um we release a new episode every wednesday i do that with um an other writer called penny windsor and so yeah we um, talk about how we manage to navigate our writing lives and we interview other people on the podcast as well we've got um an interview coming out tomorrow and yeah it's really good fun it's great to do and I think talking about writing really helps me kind of think about my process and makes me think about what I'm doing so yeah it's really good fun it's good cool awesome. well, we'll put a link in the the show notes so and um, people can uh, can check you out on that brilliant thank you Definitely. very much um so the book is called the last days it's published by Ebri and will be out in the spring of 2022 um, and so, Ali Miller, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 